This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's scripture passage is found in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sinuous mind, but not hold fa- and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anne. Um, it's a privilege to uh, share the word of God with you uh, today, uh, but as we continue uh, through this series and through this chapter, um, today's passage, uh, I do want to remind us that it's a very tied, it's connected. I mean, all of scripture is tied together, uh, but it's very uh, much tied to the previous uh, passage that we heard upon last week. So hopefully you kind of can um, activate your memory if you've heard Pastor Sean's sermon on that. Uh, And we can see that uh, actually in our passage as it starts with therefore. Um, And I'm sure you've heard this many times if you've been to church, that if you see a therefore in the passage, you have to also be mindful of what comes before, um, as it is very uh, much tied uh, to what comes after. Um, and so, just as a little bit of a reminder, uh, in the prior message, Pastor Sean, uh, and there's definitely much more that he talked about, so this is just a cliff note of cliff note, um, Pastor Sean preached on how Apostle Paul shares how we uh, are complete in Christ. And if you only just go to the YouTube clip and see the title, you'll already know that. Um, and that all we need for a, a life uh, of faith and salvation is Christ and Christ alone. That Christ is sufficient for our salvation and our life. That that is uh, the message that he shared with us. And I want to read verse 9 to 10 to uh, get just refresh our minds with scripture. Uh, and Paul says here, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In today's passage, Apostle Paul continues from that message of sufficiency in Christ uh, to address three false teaching that arises in the Colossian church. Uh, And these false teachings were not overtly academic, if I can put it that way. Uh, And they weren't errors in the sense of Jesus is not the Son of God or the Trinity is not true, uh, nothing academic like that. 
Um, but these errors were very practically uh, shown, and by trying to uh, add to the gospel, um, the people of the Church of Colossae uh, illustrated these errors in practice in some ways. Uh, and as they were uh, illustrating this uh, in their lives, um, they were essentially, functionally, negating, even if they perhaps knew it in their minds, negating the sufficiency of Christ, what Paul talked about in the previous passage. And in turn, as you deny the sufficiency of Christ, you deny the gospel altogether. And as we take a cursory glance at our passage, uh, it may seem a little bit uh, archaic uh, and irrelevant if you just kind of glean over the points and what's going on. Sometimes uh, if you just read this portion, uh, it, it seems uh, like you don't really know what's going on because all the details seem very uh, culturally embedded in that time. But as we go through it a little more slowly, uh, there's definitely going to be much more you can glean than what we talk about today. Uh, but uh, we begin to realize that Paul's warnings for the Colossian church uh, is extremely relevant for our church and the greater church as a whole. And he gives us a, a nice outline, actually, um, when, when prepping for this sermon uh, I actually didn't have to worry about the outline. And I, I want to give you four points, um, uh, kind of following his uh, outline of the warnings that he gives. Uh, so there's three warnings, but four points. Uh, so the first point is this uh, false teaching uh, of legalism. And then the second point is the false teaching of mysticism. And then the third point is the false teaching of asceticism. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you know, you're struggling with the spelling there, uh, you can look it up. Um, but fourth point is how we can address uh, these false teachings of by holding fast uh, to our union with Christ. But before we observe these three false teachings uh, and the gospel solution that we can hear, um, I want to offer... Uh, this question that you can think about throughout the sermon as you uh, listen. Uh, and it's a very simple question, uh, and perhaps you've answered it before uh, in, in your life, uh, but the question is, what does a Christian look like? I want us to just keep pondering that as we go through uh, the passage and hear uh, the sermon. So what does a Christian look like? So the first false, false teaching that Apostle Paul was seeking to address was the false teaching of legalism. And we see this in verse 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. More specifically, uh, these verses are talking about, as we just uh, see, uh, about diets and festival days. Uh, and specifically, what's in view in these verses are the Jewish ceremonial laws uh, and the observance of those festival days that we find in Leviticus and different parts of the Old Testament. Uh, and the Levitical laws prescribed uh, a dietary restriction, uh, if you will, to symbolize, actually, for the people of God that they were set apart that as they uh, were to obey and um, 
live uh, according to these dietary restrictions. Uh, it was to illustrate that they were the set apart, the holy people of God that God had chosen. And we read in Leviticus 20, 26, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. It was God's way of helping them understand who they were uh, in relation to him, that they were a set-apart people. But somewhere along the way, the Jewish people, as they were supposed to see this as a symbol of who they were, started to see this as the substance of who they were. And they started to see uh, it as a substance, and they forgot what it actually was supposed to be. And so against this, Paul is reminding the Colossian church that let no one pass judgment on you for eating things like pork or lobster and other shellfish, since our freedom is in Christ Jesus and we are complete in him. Paul is reminding them it's not your substance. It's just a symbol of what was revealed in Jesus Christ. The festival days were also similar, uh, and they were a symbol of what was to come. Uh, and the three main festivals that we can kind of remind ourselves of are the Festival of Unleavened Bread, also called Passover, and then there was the, the Feast of Weeks, uh, and the Feast of the Tabernacle, or sometimes also called the Feast of Booths. For Israel, keeping this calendar of festivals was evidence of their obedience to God's law, uh, and it was a symbol uh, that they were chosen by God to be his people. But it was supposed to be a symbol. Passover pointed forward towards the true Passover lamb, that, who is Jesus Christ. And we see this in the Last Supper as he presents himself as the lamb of God who is to wipe away the sins of the world. It was to point forward to the substance, the reality. These feasts were supposed to remind the people of God, the Israelites, that there was a reality coming, that they were, as they uh, obeyed these festivals, to understand that they were chosen, but the true reality was to come in Jesus Christ in the future. But the one thing we have to also remember as we observe this false teaching of legalism is that it's not... Uh, just the fact that they were doing this uh, or seeing it as this way. It was the fact that they were seeing it as a requirement for who they were in relationship to God. That it wasn't just a suggestion that, oh, you can participate in doing these festivals or uh, having these dietary restrictions as a suggestion. But the false teaching itself was false because people were requiring uh, the church of Colossae, of this. They were saying you have to obey by these dietary restrictions. You have to observe these days, and that makes you a true Christian. And Paul was saying, no, that is not the gospel. The false teaching of legalism was requiring the church to observe these festivals and these diets 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 helps us realize that uh, this is not the case. 
Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars who conscious, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So it was this requiring of the people to observe these additional things on top of believing Jesus Christ that was what made this false, so erroneous. And the question for us is is this relevant for us? Do you guys have dietary restrictions? I definitely can't drink milk, but that's a physical thing. Do you guys have religious dietary restrictions? I suppose most of the people here probably do not. So how is this relevant to us? It's relevant to us because we, without knowing in many times, keep adding stuff to our faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ, but you have to do this also. That makes you a Christian. You have to look like this also. That makes you a Christian. When I was growing up, we were not allowed to chew gum in church um, because they didn't say it explicitly, but we assumed because that's not what a Christian does. And also growing up, we were taught that smoking was of the devil, uh, meaning a Christian can't do that either. And drinking and for some places, culturally, long hair for men, sounds ridiculous, but also perhaps we can talk about fashion and say, how do you have to dress when you come to church? I know maybe we don't explicitly think, oh, that is our Christian identity, but if people who come to church dressed in a way that we disapproved of, would we see them as less than Christian? There is a prudence aspect to all this. There is a wisdom aspect. We're not saying that these things don't matter at all. But is it adding to your Christian identity? Is it a plus to your faith in Jesus Christ? So I want to ask us that question again. What does a Christian look like? What does a Christian exactly look like? look like. The second false teaching that Apostle Paul tries to address is the false teaching of mysticism. Verse 18 and 19 address this, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason for his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. What is mentioned here is asceticism and worship of angels, details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind is what is being taught as a requirement for these people in the church of Colossae by these false teachers. And our point here is just that, that these false teachers were on top of all these diets uh, and 
uh, festival days, we're also saying you have to have these religious experiences in order to be a true Christian. In order to be a proper Christian, you have to have these visions. You have to have these emotions. You have to look like this and have these experiences, and that makes you a true Christian. And Apostle Paul is warning the church that true Christian spirituality is not Jesus plus these spiritual highs or these spiritual experiences. These experiences may be good and wonderful. I'm not saying if it comes, just ignore it. But our faith is not based on these experiences. These experiences come and they go. And there are spiritual highs, there are spiritual depressions, and they are a part of Christian life, to be sure. They are. But we are never to make them a requirement of being a Christian, Paul is saying. He's saying, let no one disqualify you, he says in verse 18. And it's the language of winning something. And he's saying, don't let anyone keep you from the prize that you actually deserve. It's an interesting way he's putting it. He's saying, by grace through faith, you have gained a life in Christ. Don't let people disqualify you from that because you don't have these experiences, because you haven't had these experiences. Don't let people disqualify you. You are a child of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And for us, I think it's uh, relevant to ask uh, a question of worship here. If spiritual experiences are part of what defines a Christian, then each week, I'm saying this negatively, I'm not saying it is, if it is a part of what defines a Christian, then each week it will center our worship around our subjective experience in an erroneous way. And it'll do it in either of two ways, perhaps more, but at least these two ways is we will come mainly for intellectual learning. And I think we do that often in our modern uh, era. We come to learn the good teachings of the Bible, and we want to go back. So we gauge the sermon, and we say, oh, did it, you know, teach me something? Did I learn something? And I'm not saying you shouldn't learn anything, but is that the center of your worship? If it is, there may be a false teaching of mysticism embedded somewhere. And the second way that it may come up is, is it an emotional requirement? Do you come to church and say, I have to experience God with my emotions? And that's also a good thing, but is it a requirement for church service? There may be seasons, months, where you go in your life where it is very dry. But the Lord says, come anyway. Why? To worship him. It's not supposed to be centered on our subjective experience. That is kind of by effect, it is something that we gain. 
But we come here to kneel before our God in gratitude and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my life. That's the center of our worship experience. And Apostle Paul, in that way, is addressing the false teaching of mysticism, saying, do not let anyone disqualify you, requiring you of these experiences, these visions, these emotions. The substance and reality of your identity is Christ and Christ alone. And when we gather to worship, that has to be shown in our hearts and in our posture. We can sing, we can cry, we can shed tears, we can be very mellow. And those emotions are certainly good things, but they are not the reality or substance of our identity in Jesus Christ. Christ is the substance. He is the center of our worship. The third and last false teaching that Apostle Paul addresses is the false teaching of asceticism. And it's the last three verses from 20 to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Sean used an example of uh, these two cars, and I'm kind of going to draw up. It's a different example, but uh, similarly. Um, he talked about um, a Mercedes and then a Hyundai Sonata. I forget exactly. Um, when he said Mercedes and explained the car type, I was totally lost. So I had to actually look up my example. I'm not a car guy, but um, let's say uh, before worship, and let's say it wasn't, uh, our church is, you know, there's an open parking lot, so you know what everybody else drives. Um, it's not really like a parking deck where it's kind of hidden. And then you see Pastor Sean driving up with his new bought car. And you're, you're wondering, you get closer, you're kind of wondering, it looks very new and you're curious, and it's a Rolls Royce. Yeah. <laughs> so either Gospel City is doing well financially or something else is going on. Um, but let's say he rolls up in a Rolls Royce. The question is, what would you think about him in that moment? I know we're all very mature and nice. You know, we'll, sit, we'll just be wondering, how the heck did you afford this car? But perhaps in our hearts, there may be a little thing saying he shouldn't be driving that car. Maybe it's a pastoral image thing or whatever it is. But maybe it's even, how can you as a Christian drive around in that car and not give it somewhere else, all your money? How can you be like that? And perhaps if we keep grumbling and grumbling, we'll get to a point where we say, I want to switch churches. That guy's not real. 
And I'm actually being serious. We get to a point like that in our hearts when we look at asceticism. We do it ourselves, but when we look at other people, we require it of them. And I'm not saying there isn't prudence in this aspect also. And we see the asceticism here uh, being referred to specifically in verse 21, where it's, uh, it's more quotation language here, saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So these, this was the instruction of the false teachers for the church, saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And it was instruction upon instruction about not doing things in your life. So if Pastor Sean again rolls up in a Rolls Royce, we would say, these false teachers would say to him, don't drive around in that car. Apostle Paul is warning in this uh, aspect of asceticism that a life designed around denying the normal pleasures of this world is not true spirituality in Christ. There is, again, prudence that we have to think about. There is wisdom. But he is saying, why are you not relying? He's saying this to the Colossian church in a different way. Why are you not relying on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit? Why are you not relying on the fullness of the power offered in Jesus Christ? Why are you relying on these regulations of don'ts and do nots? Why is that defining who you are in Christ? Again, we see that matter of requirement that these false teachers are imposing upon the church. A lifestyle in Christ is one that is positively oriented. It is one that is towards God's glory and one where we experience true freedom and true abundance. John 10, 10 tells us in the latter part of that verse, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And don't get me wrong, this isn't saying that we're going to all drive in a Rolls Royce or going to be rich or anything like that. But we miss the point of what Paul is trying to say here. There is spiritual abundance in Christ. And what that means is your identity, your identity is just in Christ and Christ alone. Not in you refraining from things, not doing things, running away from sin. Those things are good, but it's not what defines us as Christians. The error of asceticism focuses on the external. That's another part of why it is an error. And it doesn't focus on the heart. Rules are used to lock, away, lock us away from even getting close to sin, getting close to good things that may turn into idolatry. And because of that danger, we say, okay, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to stay in my room seven days a week and not do anything. Then I will be holy. 
There was an early church father by the name of John Christosom. His name's kind of hard to say. Christosom. He was a third century guy, uh, and he, uh, for four years of his life, uh, very specifically two years, but concentrated two years, but of his life, he led an ascetic uh, life, uh, and he believed this was part of his uh, spiritual identity. He had to do this, and he would deny himself bodily. Uh, he would pray. He would fast. Uh, and uh, he went to a cave in a nearby mountain uh, and just uh, didn't sleep. He denied himself sleep. And he used that time to, this is a positive thing, to memorize the New Testament, which he did. So, uh, but that experience as a whole ruined his body lifelong. And he had chronic insomnia, abdominal issues, and he realized what Paul is saying here when Paul says it's of no value and it just has the appearance of wisdom. And Paul's saying, yeah, you can try that, but it's not going to work. And Chrysostom uh, accounts how he spent those years uh, in asceticism and he came out and he realized he was lusting after women the moment he got down out of the cave. And he was saying, he was uh, accounting that was of no use. And this is the case because asceticism only addresses the external, our behaviors, and it can never reach the heart. And that's not what we need as sinners. We need new hearts, not just changed behaviors. And only God can give us new hearts by grace through faith in Christ. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, the verses that we know well, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And I want to address a little bit of an applicational point from this third error that Apostle Paul uh, warns us about. And it's mainly towards Christian parents. But for those who are hoping to be parents, I think this will very much apply and the question that we can start asking ourselves as Christian parents is, how are you guiding the life of your child? Is it primarily behavioral change? Those things are important. But are you primarily keeping them from external dangers and just trying to shape how they act? Or... Or are you teaching them of the reality and substance of Jesus Christ? Are you simply directing your children's behaviors and lives on a moral code so that the world will look well upon them? Or are you guiding their heart as you love them, as you guide them, 
as you care for them? Are you guiding their heart to rest and receive in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? If you simply provide as a parent a, a code of morals, a change in behavior, those things will perhaps benefit them short term and they will look very functional in society. But spiritually speaking, they will have nothing left for them if that is all you're doing as a Christian parent. The important question is, are you guiding them to the reality, the substance, who is Jesus Christ? So I want to ask us again, what does a Christian look like? Perhaps the answers are forming. Last point is, how are we to not only combat these false teachings among us, as they are certainly here in different ways, in different forms, the legalism, the mysticism, the asceticism, uh, perhaps not exactly the uh, way that the Colossian church experienced it, but it certainly is here. How are we to combat it? How are we to reflect uh, a life of true spirituality uh, in Christ. And the answer was from last week that Pastor Sean preached for us. It was in the passage uh, prior, and that is why that first word is important. It says, therefore. And the answer is that we are complete in Christ. Our identity is complete in Christ. There's nothing more to add. That's it. There's nothing in need of adding. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. We get in our passage in verse 9 and 10. And that's an amazing phrase. The fullness of the Godhead deity dwells bodily in Christ. And Apostle Paul is saying, why on earth would you run to these regulations? Why are you running to these experiences? The fullness of deity rests in Christ. Stop looking at these things. Everything, everything we need is in Christ, who died and rose again for us on the cross and empty tomb. Apostle Paul offers us three more things in guidance. And these are just straight out of our text. And the first thing is that we should remember that the shadows are not the reality. That word substance in the ESV, it's actually uh, in some ways better translated as reality. But that reality belongs to Christ. That we have to remember that the shadows only point to that reality. And secondly, is that we should hold fast to the head, head being Jesus Christ. And it tells us from whom the whole body grows with a growth that is from God. Hold fast to the head. And if you put those two things together, uh, I want to illustrate uh, that those two points with this example. How many of us have been in a long-term relationship? Or long, not long term, long distance. 
hopefully long-term for everyone. No one? No one's been in a long-distance relationship? Um, have you guys been apart from your family for a semi-significant length of time? Shy hands. Um, I, I suspect many of us because we're at Gospel City, but... Um, <laughs> But do you guys carry a picture of your loved ones? I, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just wondering. But if, for those of you who have been in a long-distance relationship, or if you've been apart from your family long, uh, I think oftentimes now uh, we have it in our phones, not a physical picture. We have a picture of those people. And hopefully you want to think about them and you look at the picture, uh, you sometimes stare, you waste time, uh, you're not wasting time, but you know, you don't get work done because you're, you're wanting to see them, you want to be with them, uh, and you look at those pictures constantly. But then when that long distance becomes close, you're at the airport and your family is, uh, you know, greeting you as you come out, or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or uh, husband, wife, whomever. And let's say you come out and your uh, loved one is looking at your picture, even at the airport, and then as you come out, you want to go hug them, and they push you aside and say, I'm busy, I'm looking at your picture. <laughs> it's a ridiculous example. But Apostle Paul is saying, that's what we're doing. Those are shadows. No one keeps looking at the picture when the reality is before them. Hold fast to the head. Behold the Son, Jesus Christ. Gaze at him. Behold him in your hearts. And the third thing he has us remember is to remember our union with Christ. In verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? By grace, through faith, as you rest and receive upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to him. We don't just gaze upon him from a distance. We are united to him. And we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Is what verse 9 tells us. What that means in part is from the first chapter in verse 13, it tells us that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transferred to the kingdom of of the beloved son. That has been done for us as we are united to him. In Christ, our old selves have died. It's dead. And now we have a new heart and we are new creatures in Christ. And anytime you struggle with legalism, mysticism, asceticism, you are trying to 
go back to that dead life. And Apostle Paul is saying, that life is gone. And you have a new one. One where you are united to your Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace him. Live out of that new reality that God has given you. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, declares to us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We are no longer slaves. We don't have to be looking for regulations and rules in order to define ourselves. We are his children. Behold your Lord Jesus Christ. Declare that gospel truth to your hearts. Declare it to the person next to you. Declare it to our gospel community here. So, Gospel City Church, what does a Christian look like? Perhaps the question is wrong. Perhaps the question simply is, Christian, where does your heart rest? Is it in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone? Does your heart rest in Jesus Christ and in him alone? So I hope that we can, as we close our time, look upon our Lord Jesus Christ and continue to rest in him so that we can not be entangled in our lives with legalism, mysticism, and asceticism in different ways uh, and forms, that we can continue to behold our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.